to overcome, succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty, defeat of an opponent to prevail, overpower or overwhelm of an emotion, adversity, a difficult or unpleasant situation, used in a sentence, resilience in the face of adversity. I want to break free. Okay, we are live right now, Amanda, on our second episode. Put your phone down. Let that technology go. Let's detox for a moment. I am cleanse. Yes, I am Blake Cohen, uh, certified addictions professional, uh, recovery ninja. Why not? I was doing a karate chop as I said it, so I I felt like saying it. (laughs) Episode two, Amanda Marino in the house, certified life coach. Ooh, you go, girl. Oh, so um, <laughs> as we talked about in the first episode, this is uh, this is overcoming adversity. So we're here to talk about all things, uh, well, overcoming adversity. And all adverse things. All adverse things. And there's one thing I forgot to do on the first episode was to define uh what it means to what it, what adversity means and what it means to overcome and i think the definitions are really kind of telling it is important um so adversity difficulties or misfortune hmm. and i like the sentence that they used because it wasn't it was a very positive sentence and it wasn't they didn't use adversity in a negative way they used resilience in the face of adversity resilience so in that, that's the overcoming part. So overcome, um, the definition is, there's three definitions here. It's succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty, defeat of an opponent or to prevail, and overpower or overwhelm of an emotion. Mm. So you know, this podcast, that kind of really puts together what this podcast is all about, and it, it it's, does it really well because it, it talks about everything, about overcoming an opponent, whether it's physical or mental. Um, we over- talked about a lot of this stuff on the first episode, really, yeah. with the, before even defining it. You know, it's really what we're, exactly. what we're about. It's who it, we are. So it's cool to read the definition and see that yeah. it's, it's really going to succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty. So dealing with specific problems, specific difficulties, and overcoming them. Wow. And then um, defeating of an opponent. And whatever that opponent may be, prevailing over it, um, and the emotional side of it, overcoming, overpowering, or overwhelming of an emotion. Hmm. So I think uh, we'll be talking a lot about that one. Right. You know, a lot of what, like we said in the first one, our problems are they're based in, not based in reality. They're based in our head, and usually have emotions attached to it that we that we attach to it. That we create and make up. Yeah. So in the also deep dark places of the mind in the deep dark recesses <laughs> of the dark matter in your brain, in a world. So <laughs> all right. So it's um, very funny. Just in case you don't know, he makes me laugh constantly. Like I literally sometimes will drop my phone from a text message, like laughing out loud. Like when he sent me not long ago. This is too much pressure for me for you to say that. I well, now, you're a funny dude. I now feel the pressure to be funny. And no, I'm, just be you. Just I'm be you. Slowly caving right now inside. <laughs> I'm imploding. Oh wait, get off the floor! Come on, Blake, get back up here. <laughs> He's sliding down his chair. <laughs> my heart. 
So, uh, so we talked about the first episode and we mentioned what we're doing for these first few episodes. So um, it doesn't make sense for us to do all this talking without introducing ourselves. And I think you guys will get to know us over the course of a time. Right. Uh, the course of time. Does that make yeah, sense? The course of the episodes. Course the course of, of the episodes. Yeah. We'll get to know us, basically. In the galaxy. Far, but we do away. have to dedicate an episode to hashtag Blake. Hashtag Blake. So um, we get to talk about my favorite topic <laughs> for a full 22 minutes <laughs> right now. So we get to talk about Blake. Um, so I, I'm, thanks for having me, Amanda. You're welcome, Blake. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm so excited to partner with you on this venture. You're amazing. Um, so yeah, I thought it would be really cool if we took time to kind of get to know you a little bit, like who you are, where you come from and like what you do today. Um, you know, kind of a, a, like a version of your, your story, but let's like, you know, just find out a little bit about who Blake is. Okay. So where do you want to start? I would like to know Blake, um, where are you from? And just tell me like a little bit about your childhood. Okay. So, um, I'm from Boca Raton, Florida which is a nice little waspy town here in uh, South Florida where, so waspy. <laughs> we have, where our, our mall, uh, you walk around and all you see is fake boobs and fake foreheads and fake cheekbones. And that's where I grew up, um, a nice little Jewish household. And, um, you know, I grew up with my family. My family's very, com- you know, they have money. Uh, my dad is self-made, but, but there's always been money around. It's a wealthy family. I've got, there's five siblings um, so there's a lot of us in the house. Um, How was that, having five siblings? It was different because it's interesting how we can all come from the same background but have such different personalities and different ways that we cope with things. Uh, which, side note, it's been interesting watching us like slowly turn into our parents, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is kind of scary. Especially my younger brother and my little sister are like slowly turning into my mom and dad. That's funny. Um, and then we've got like the wild card, of course. The middle child is like the wild card. Are you the wild card? No, no, no. Oh. I'm, I'm the second oldest. Okay. So the middle child, he's just, you know, he's out there in LA right now. He's, he's a writer. He's out there kind of doing his comedy thing. He's just, he's the wild card. Um, then there was me, and then there was my older brother. And my older brother uh, had some struggles with addiction also. And I remember being a kid and watching my dad. Um, watching, or not my dad, I'm watching my mom and dad talk to him in the kitchen. And I used to sleep on the couch a lot in the living room. So they would be in the kitchen and they'd be, he'd be, there'd be a policeman there with him or there, he'd be brought home and he'd be fighting with them. And, um, but no one ever really explained to me what was going on. I think they thought I was too young. They never had like a frank conversation with me of why is, why is he disappearing for 30 days at a time? Like where, where did he go? Right. And he's about 10 years older than me. Did you ask questions and just not get answered? Or were you kind of like pushed to like not pay attention to it? And kind of Here's the thing sheltered? is in my, and I love my family and I've learned to, I learned how they express love and how they show their emotions now, but they don't, they don't do it in the standard ways that we want. So we don't talk about our problems. We don't talk about our emotions. It just, it's never was like that. Right. So like when there's an issue in the family, it's not really talked about. We, I knew my uncle had an issue and it was like anytime some big event happened and came up, it was like, let's, how can we shut this up as quickly as possible? So stuff it under the rug kind of thing. Stuff it under the rug. Okay. And, um, 
so it, it was that's kind of like how I grew up I think being that there was a lot of us um, as cliche as this sounds I think I was kind of vying for my parents attention often right um, and vying for just attention and love in general and you know it's weird that you can grow up in a house where love and affection is not really there in the way that it's needed and I kind of was born and raised in a needing that love and attention and I wasn't getting it at home so I started doing things in school to get attention and it wasn't like bad I wasn't a bad kid but I definitely acted out in ways to get attention to try negative to be funny negative attention seeking behavior it was more like yeah college. yeah it was negative attention seeking it was more like self-deprecating because jackass came out right at the same time as mm. like I was a kid and Tom Green the Tom Green show. So like yeah. both of those are about just doing really weird or like self-damaging things to get other people to laugh. So I kind of like took on the personalities of Tom Green and then the Jackass crew and I developed other behaviors. I mean, I put myself in some like serious. I would like throw myself down a flight of stairs to make people laugh. I remember throwing tuna fish and I tell the story often, but throwing tuna fish on the wall on a Friday outside and then eating that tuna fish off the wall on Monday and getting really sick. But yeah. like, but the popular kids were giving me attention. Okay. So it was worth it. Right. Um, Seeking outside of yourself. Yeah. Just trying to do whatever I could. And, and it was like flashes of attention and it was like giving me that rush that I needed, that I was finally getting some, like they were including me. Um, That's so important at that impressionable, impressionable age, you know, like you just want to feel that from somewhere. And you but it wasn't where. real. Right, it's and, not and, real. And that's the hard part. And I realize looking back now too is I developed these other behaviors of trying to be someone I wasn't. And I learned really well how to be, to wear different masks and to be a chameleon. Right. And I didn't realize I did that until I was back in treatment the last time and somebody just called me out was like you are the most full of shit person I have ever seen mm. you are exactly who everybody else wants you to be at any different time he's I like I was, he, oh it was awful because I never knew I knew that was there and in my head I always said that I don't have a personality I have the personality that everybody else wants me to have right and I always knew that that I took little bits and pieces of everybody and like oh I like the way he talks let me be like him People even told me in treatment that I took on different affects. Like I would talk differently depending on who I was speaking to. Wow. And, it, and I didn't even notice it. I was right. that good at blending in. It was like second nature at yeah. that point. Yeah. But it probably had to feel like a, a punch in the gut or like, you know, when you heard that and you knew it was what you were feeling. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was hard. It, it was like, because, okay, so then drugs and alcohol are taken away from me. And obviously, I'm not going to go into all the war stories, but obviously I developed a problem there. I developed, going through high school and college, I developed into having substance abuse problems. And that became a, a major part of my life. And I developed all the manipulative behaviors, the people-pleasing behaviors, the stealing, the lying, you know, all the stuff that goes along with it. Right. Uh, you know, I'm in college for seven years like on the Van Wilder plan of just trying to party my way through college yeah like trying to like party my way through college and you know it, at a point it becomes sad and right. it becomes like that wow guy. all my friends graduated and I'm like 24 and in, in college still and like it just was weird um, but I was too addicted to drugs to even notice that stuff or even care really 
Right. So, um, so anyway, I end up in treatment. You know, I go to jail. I do do all the stuff. Like I was on drug court for a year and and go through all the ups and downs of of addiction and that people pleasing behavior and that mask wearing behavior worked really well for me in my addiction. So like I didn't realize my childhood was the perfect foundation for an addiction problem. Right. Um, especially that that trying to. Uh, keep up that mask and keep up those behaviors and the, the image that I'm perfect all the time, it was like the perfect foundation for setting up to have an addiction problem because you can't keep that up. You need a release. There's too much pain there. It is. So, um, you know, in treatment, all of a sudden I'm getting called out for being the most full of shit person ever. And it wasn't just one person, by the way. The whole room agreed. And everybody oh, was like, yeah, it's true. Painful. You are full of shit. And like, we don't know the real you. And we just, we've seen the real you once when you were crying. Oh, okay. And I was like... Vulnerability. Which was interesting, right? was like a theme of vulnerability of like, wow, that, that they liked about me when I was the real me and I was crying and I was a mess. They liked that about me? Yeah, that's a message too. Um, which was interesting. Um... So I, uh, that's pulled away from me. Like the, those masks were taken off and the drugs and alcohol, my coping mechanisms are taken away. So I was kind of left with nothing, which was the most painful and hard and really kind of gut-wrenching time of my life. It was a big dramatic scene where like I was in bed in this treatment center and I, like my family just told me they want nothing to do with me. I just got caught with a, all my behaviors just kind of came out and open in public and everybody realized that I was this terrible person um, or at least behaving like one. Or you felt like a terrible person. Yeah. Well, and, and again, like I look back and I wasn't a terrible person. But right. I, like, fake. I always say like I was behaving like a terrible person. Right. Um, you weren't your authentic self yet. No. No. And the It sounds best... like this was a very monumental moment, almost like a spiritual awakening. That's what I'm hearing. Like, this was, like, a very monumental moment. Yeah. Well, right. this was the first time I became open to anything spiritual because I was left with nothing. Wow. And it was my rock bottom. And um, it became a foundation that I started building a life upon and developing my own personality and becoming who I am. And, of course, there were still bits and pieces of the people-pleasing. And all of these behaviors and habits don't go away right away. But I learned how to embrace them in an authentic way and be who I, I, I am in all situations and not have the, not feel like I need to deviate from that and learn to love myself basically because there were so many nights when I was in my addiction and in, in the shit basically that I would cry and be like I hate myself and I couldn't explain why and it's because I didn't know myself right and so I had to get vulnerable I had to get real and that first step was kind of going like, I have no idea what I'm doing to help me. And I remember when this all went down, I said, okay, I'll stay the 90 days in treatment. I was fighting. I wanted to just do the 30 and go home. And I said, I, okay, I'll stay. I'll, I'll do it. I, obviously, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm so far down the rabbit hole right now that I'm lost. Right. Like I need help getting out. I need to help figure out who I am or what I am or who I even want to be. I don't even know who I wanted to be because I was so stuck like living this old lifestyle. So I, um, yeah, like I just, 
that first year was really hard. Um, there were so many like super high ups and then really low lows and having to deal with those emotions and kind of like, I feel like Ricky Bobby, you know, he like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was uncomfortable in social shit, social situations, in social situations. And it was hard. Like, you, you kind of got to learn to be comfortable without something else in your life. Like, without drugs and alcohol, without relying on a fake you, a, like a mask version of you, where I can go in and pretend to be, like... Rico Suave. Whoever you want me to be today. Yeah, like I, I had right. to go and be myself. Being and real. Like, it's like, oh my God, are they going to like me? Right. And kind of always having that fear of like, well, are they, but are they going to like the real me? And then you, you kind of learn that when you are the real you is how you develop real love and real relationships and people truly love you. Um, you also realize how quickly people read through the bullshit. And how much people can pick up when you're being fake, and pick up when you're not you're not being your authentic self, um, or the kind of people you draw to you when you are phony, and the kind of people you draw to you when you are authentic. And you, right. You draw some good people to you today, and you've done amazing yeah. things. You know. Yeah, it's been pretty cool. So like you, I've got some real relationships. I can pick and choose who I want to be around instead right. of before. I felt like I had to be friends with everybody. Because I wanted everybody to like me. And now I can I can be cordial. I can be polite. But I don't need to be your friend. And I think that you've done a really good job as far as like in the in your professional realm of like being true to you. And being you. And not yeah. being like the mold of what everyone else is. And I, I, I think that's, that's awesome. I think if we look at it realistically, I think that I did go through some phases of being fake. Um, not fake. I think I was a version of myself finding your way maybe yeah it was like a like a polished version of myself right. that I was trying to it was an attempt to be vulnerable um, but again it goes back to intentions and I, I don't know I think I was trying to put out there a certain image of myself that I have this I work this incredible recovery program and let me be your recovery guru and it just it, it was not a hundred percent authentic right. and I had to learn about that and I had to I had to learn um, how uncomfortable that made me and, and really feel the emotions and analyze what I was doing so I think now where I'm at in my career um, I think I've stuck true to the process of trying to be authentic and stuck true to the process of self-analyzing and finding what works for me and what makes me happy instead of makes me uncomfortable um, because I knew it was fake. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things I've done that make me very uncomfortable, and it's usually when I'm have to be when I'm about to be very real and be very vulnerable or put something out like the book. Um, the book was like, you know, I was a nervous wreck the week of it of it being released, because it's something like, you have no idea how how difficult you do something that and it's creative. It's not my story. Yeah, right. I would have been more comfortable putting my story in that book. And what prompted you to want to do this book? Like, what what was that? You know, like that's that's yeah. overcoming adversity, walking through you know walking through fear. Yeah, that's that's powerful to be able so, to do that. I would say that there's three there's three answers to that, and I'm going to keep them short just in the interest of time. But one is my personal story, 
of recovery. Um, so the book is about the family systems and it offers perspective to both sides of the family, the substance user and the family. So the part of me that, that was influenced by my family to get sober is when I realized that my family actually was hurt by my actions and my family's, my family wasn't faking it and that my actions over the course of years were really keeping them up at night and hurting them. And I never understood that. And for some reason, one day, you know, seven years in to my addiction, it clicked where I'm like, oh my God, my dad just told me to, that he never wants to see me again and good luck finding your way home and kind of like abandoning ship. And, and I'm like, wait a second, were they being serious this whole time? Am I really hurting them? So it was that understanding and that realization that made me realize that I, um, that, that realization that I'm, I, I need help, you know, right. that I need, I need to change. Like, oh my God, I'm actually affecting other people besides myself. And then at the same time, working in the field now and working with, in the substance abuse field and dealing with families often, I'm realizing that how little there is that understanding and that, that understanding of each other's perspective. So I wanted to offer something through storytelling as opposed to just educating through explaining in science. Right, educating like the relapse prevention and then this and that like traditional family programs do. You want to offer something more. Emotional attached because I'm a big believer in that people, people remember emotion. They don't remember data. They don't right. remember science. So, and that's why the same reason music is so powerful, yeah. that people remember the emotions attached to it even if they don't remember the lyrics. Right. And so I wanted to do that and tell the story to educate them through through emotion. So I used fictional stories that are very true to life, but they're fictional, to, to educate them on what it's like in each other's shoes, from the mother to father to sister to brother to, to the substance user themselves to what it's like to lose a loved one to an overdose, you know, every scenario, and use stories to tell that. Um, so I thought that that would be a cool tool to have, and I was, I was hoping that it would be helpful. There's discussion questions at the end of the book. You know, I, I wanted to create something that's, that's useful to families and that can make an impact. I right away sent it to a family of my, one of my clients. You know, right yeah. away I, I shipped it to them because I feel like um, they have a hard time really, really seeing things you know, from a clear perspective, and I think the storytelling might be something that's beneficial to them. So I think it could be really good, like you said, for both ends. So... I, that's the hope. You know what? And the feedback has been so crazy, like so crazy positive. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain how it feels because it's like... It's so exciting. It's, but it's cool. And it's, it goes back again. My intentions were pure with this. Right. It wasn't like I was trying to make money because I know you don't make money on a book unless it goes to like number one New York Times best. Like I'm not Michelle Obama, you know, or Howard Stern. Like that's number one right. bestseller. It came like, from your heart. Yeah, it's a tool for families to be able to use and that can actually make a difference that's separate from me. It's not my story. It's not about me. It's about them. And I, it's been really cool. The third reason why I wrote it was actually I was in a transition period from one job that I was at for five years where you and I originally met to another one where I was in all new territory and my this is the, the catalyst that got me writing. So I had the idea, I just took, I had the idea on my phone for maybe a year and a half, 
And this was the catalyst that got me writing was I was so uncomfortable with myself in a new position, so just outside of my comfort zone. And I was like, what is the one thing that has always helped me feel better about myself? And how do I lean into this, this uncomfortability? And it's let me be as vulnerable as I can. Let me do something creative and put it out there. This is the perfect time to start writing. And that's awesome. So that was like such a gift losing that job or leaving that job. I'm sorry, you don't lose it, but leaving it yeah. and having that space and time to create. That's yeah, awesome. and create and put something out there that I'm proud of and right. really put the time and the effort into it and put out a good product that is helpful to other people that right. solves a problem. As opposed to what I was solution. trying to do. Yeah, solution. We talked about in the first episode that I was putting out like Amazon, like women's beauty stuff on Amazon. Right, right. Like, I still can't see you doing that. I know, it was weird. <laughs> weird phase of my life. But like this was actually a solution to a problem. And I was being useful and it, I completed something. And I was, the moment I clicked submit to Amazon for to sell this book, I was proud of myself. And That's I had awesome. confidence in myself. That's and that uncomfortability was gone. And I've worked through it through creativity. And that's because of all the work you've done on yourself yeah. in this journey. All right, anyway, that's enough about me. Hashtag well, Blake is I over. I loved hashtag Blake. I don't yeah. know about you all, but I, I loved, you know, I'm excited to hear more. I mean, there's so much that I know about you, but there's so much I don't know. And that is just exciting as like, far as hmm. getting to know who the real you is. And well, I think that really tells a good picture. More will be revealed. So guys, uh, this is the end of episode two. So if you guys want to check us out, go to, uh, shoot us an email at overcomingadversity at gmail.com. We got to let it out, Blake. We got to let it out. Oh, <laughs> we're running over, guys. I'm sorry. This is more than 25 minutes. <laughs> let it out real quick. You go first. Let it out. Oh, God, let it out. Um, people that don't pay attention to each other on the road. Pay attention to the people that drive next to you, please. Come on. Okay, let it out for me. Let it out, by the way, is us letting out a an issue that we have that because we're human, we're real, we got to let it out. Talk um, about it. Squash we, it. We got to talk about it. Let's be real. So um, I don't like when people are on their phone the entire time you're talking to them. Oh, that, that's so rude. <laughs> that bothers me a lot when people don't pay attention and they're on their phone. Oh, yeah, let's time. go to lunch and, and uh, let's sit on the phone together. Sit on the phone the whole time. So, all right, guys, we love you. Check Bye. us out on Facebook, by the way, Overcoming Adversity. Overcoming adversity on Facebook, pink and black. I don't know. I was going to say dot com for some reason. Maybe one day. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.